slide. Good evening. Hope all of you are doing well. It is 8.40. We are beginning a new parak today, Baruch Hashem. Hashem. We're starting parak Hayashen Tachas Hamita. This sugya had come up in the first parak. We discussed it briefly. Today we're going to discuss it in more depth. We're going to be starting at the new parak on Kafum Bez, about 15 lines up, and we'll be ending last word on the page of Kafala from Bez, uh, which will then lead us to Thursday night, which will be Amir Tzoshem at Tzvi Perlman's house. I think his address is 3040 uh, Sherwin. I'll post it in the group when he tells me what it is again, just to make sure. But we will be uh, having him there, along with Rabbi Robinson, to give Dibri Chizuk afterwards. All of them, uh, all of Rabbi Robinson's shirim are being recorded and posted in their own playlist of preparation, Chaburas for Rosh Hashanah. Let's get started with this new parak on Kaf Amud Beis. There's a If a person sleeps under a bed that's within a sukkah, so the Tanakama is of the opinion, why are you not yotze the mitzvah of sukkah if you are underneath a bed? Rashi, the first Rashi in the parak, because the ohel mafsik sukkah. You're in a house within a house. You're in an ohel, a halachic tent, uh, not to be misconstrued by any tents that we have within our mind because they're very halachically. Uh, defined. They have to be 10 tefachim tall. In some cases, maybe they have to have a tefach at the top. Okay, whatever the discussion is there, but this is considered to be an ohel according to the Tanakhama. However, there's a dissenting opinion. Amar of Yehuda, Noagin Hayinu, we had the custom, Shehayinu Yeshenim, that we would lie underneath Tachas Hamita, Bifnei that we would lie underneath a bed within a sukkah, on sukkahs, Velo Amru Lanu and the Chachamim didn't say anything to us, and that implies that if you lie under a bed in a sukkah, you can be Yotzei Yedei Chovasa, you can fulfill the mitzvah d'oraisa of sukkah by being in a sukkah, even under a bed. Okay, so those that's the Machlokes, and now we're going to see one more opinion in the Mishnah, which agrees with the Tanakama. Amar Reb Shimon, four lines into the new parak Kafam and Beis, Amar Reb Shimon, Maisi Avdol Shor Rabban Gamliel, Tevi was the Evid of Rabban Gamliel, Shohayashin Tachasamita, he was sleeping under a bed, within a sukkah. Rabban Gamliel is a Canaan. Rabban Gamliel said to the people who were around him, Ra'isem, you saw Tevi Avdi Shehu Talmud Chacham, he knows what he's talking about, he grew up in my house. He, you know, when you when you sit around, sit at the ankles of people who are great, you pick up a lot, you pick up a lot. Even if people aren't great, you also pick up a lot from them too. But certainly in halacha, if you're going to be sitting next to Rabban Gamliel, you're going to pick up a lot. So Viodeya, and he knows she'avod and p'turim in that an evid, um, like a woman, they're p'turas from mitzvah, sasei, shazman, grama, that he is going to be putter from the sukkah. Lefichach, yoshinu tachasamita. He was making a point. It was bedafka. He was lying under the bed to show everyone that you can still uh, that you can still lie under the bed within a sukkah as long as you're not chayiv in the midst of sukkah, implying, of course, that if you are chayiv in the midst of sukkah and you lie under a bed within a sukkah, the halach is you will not be yotzei. Uh, and from this path, what did we learn? Like the Tanakama. So Shita number one and Shita number three, the Tanakama and Rib Shimon are of the opinion that if a person lies under a bed that is within a sukkah, they cannot fulfill the mitzvah of sukkah while lying under that bed. That bed is considered to be an ohel. And if you have a, if you have a valid ohel within a sukkah and you are within that ohel within a sukkah, you cannot fulfill the mitzvah of sukkah. Masha'in came the middle sheet of Rabbi Yehuda. He was of the opinion, he was of the opinion that you can fulfill that, uh, that uh, you can fulfill the mitzvah of sukkah even if you are underneath that bed. Starting at the Gemara, six, seven lines from the bottom of Chafumid Beis. Says the Gemara, Hold on one second. You have a bed, you're lying underneath it, but and, and as Rashi highlighted, you're concerned about Ohel, but Ohel has minimum requirements. But if the height underneath the bed 
if the cavity between the floor and the bottom of the bed is not is not ten tefachim, that's not a noel. So that's what the Gemara says. Vahaleka asara. How can any of this be the case? According to the shitas that say shita one and shita three, the Tanakam and Rabbi Shimon who say that if you lay under a bed in a sukkah lo but that's only true if it's a noel. But who says that underneath the bed is ten tefachim? Says the Gemara. Tirgamashmol b'mita asara. Relax. The bed is ten tefachim, and therefore it is considered an ohel. So it checks all the boxes of ohel, and therefore shitas one and three in the Mishnah are validated that the bed that is within this sukkah is at least ten tefachim tall. Uh, we're going to jump into a new sugya and then come back to our Mishnah briefly. Tanan, Hasam. We have a Mishnah that writes as follows. Let's say there was a hole that was dug by flowing water and it left an ohel. Oshratim, uh, or there were animals that uh, dug a hole and it also as well left uh, an ohel. Milchas. There was some type of uh, some type of corrosion that ate away at the ground or at rock and left a... Uh, and left a, a, an ohel above it. V'chein midbach avanim, a collection of stones that left an ohel. V'chein savar shel koros, a, a stack of beams that left an ohel somewhere. In all of these cases, and here the language changes a little bit, uh, the, the kisve yad write uh, that the language should not be ma'ahil al hatuma, but rather mevien es hatuma. This aligns with language that we saw a number of blad ago, that mevien es hatuma is a language that we use by tumas ohel. So if we're in a case where we say that something's mevien es hatuma, it means that that structure can generate the transference of tuma from one place to another. So all of these cases, none of which are man-made, all of these cases where there is an ohel that is made by these scenarios, by nature, in all of these cases, Vivian Satuma, it, uh, it actually functions as an ohel. However, two lines from the bottom of Yehuda Omer, no. Kol ohel she'eno asi bide adam eno ohel. Wow, that's like a halachic mic drop moment. There's no such thing as an ohel that's made in nature. Uh, that, that is a wild and drastic halacha, which would change so many things. So, for example, we we never allow Kohanim to go pretty much ever to go to a cemetery. And sometimes we say, go stand outside, but we have to avoid the trees. You don't have to avoid the tree, according to Yehuda, because according to Yehuda, a Nohel is only an Ohel if it's made by man. But all of these things that were listed in this Mishnah that were made by nature, Yehuda pushes back and says, sorry, those things are not are not Mevin Satuma. They do not create uh, Tuma to transfer like it would under, under a regular Ohel. My time in the Rav Yehuda. What is the re- reason why Rav Yehuda has this seemingly outlandish shita that there's no such thing as uh, Tumas Ohel unless the Ohel was made by a person? On the top of Chafalaf Amid Aleph, answer number one, Yalif Ohel Ohel Mi Mishkan. We have the word Ohel in two places, and one of them is from Mishkan, Ksiv Hacha. We have in our case, and our case, what does that mean? By the Psukim and Sefer by Midbar Perak Yudtes, there the Pasuk reads, Zosa Torah Adam Ki Yamus Ba'ohel, the Halachos of Tumas Ohel. And there, that Pasuk uses the word Ohel. And then as well, Uchsiv Hasam, it also says elsewhere, this is a little, this is in Sefer Shmos Perak Mem, and it says, Vayifros Esa Ohel Al Hamishkan, that uh, when the Mishkan was finally being built, they threw a cover, Vayifros, they spread a cover on top of the Ohel. So what's the comparison here? What is the Gzeir Shava? So says the Gemara, just like by the Mishkan, it was Vayifros Esa Ohel, a human being was the one who created the Ohel. Afkan over here, when it comes to the Halachos of Ohel for Tuma, we also should say Bide Adam. 
So that's where Rabbi Yehuda gets his shita from. And we're, try- we're going to be spending a lot of time trying to figure out what Rabbi Yehuda really meant. To be clear, uh, a little bit of a spoiler alert, it's not as dramatic in the end as it sounds like right now, but right now it sounds pretty wild. Even though he has a beautiful marimokum, just it would just shatter and change the world of halacha as we know it if Tumas Ohel was not this way. Um, <clears throat> as well, the Rabbanan, what do you do with that drasha? What do the rabbis do with the Xerashava? Because remember, we have a machlokas. The initial shita in the Mishnah toward the bottom of the page said that all of these naturally made ohels, they do transfer to him. Only Rabbi Yehuda disagreed. So Rabbi Yehuda gave his answer, Xerashava. The Rabbanan, what do you say about the Xerashava of Rabbi Yehuda? And the Gemara answers four lines down, ohel, ohel, riba. You looked at the psukim wrong. When we see the word ohel in, mo- in two cases, what we're saying is riba, that we're including more cases, even the cases where they're not asvi, bide adam, even those cases are considered to be ohel. Okay, so then the Gemara is going to ask a, a question on, on this very strange sheet of Rabbi Yehuda. Says the Gemara, the Sava Rabbi Yehuda does in fact Rabbi Yehuda really hold that Kol Ohel Adam Ohel. Does Rabbi Yehuda really hold that in order for an Ohel to be an Ohel, it has to be man-made, and all Ohels that are made by nature are not going to be Mivina Satuma? Does he really hold that way? After all, Uraminhu, we have a conflict within Tanaic sources. Raminu always means a conflict in Tanaic sources. We have the Brisa, we have the Mishnah at the bottom of the page, the one that's already within the Gemara. We have the Mishnah there that says Rabbi Huda's unique Shita. And then we have the following source, which is uh, found in Maseches Para. It's a Mishnah in Maseches Para. Um, and we're going to see here how the families would prepare Kohanim to take care of the Para Aduma. From the time they were children, they avoided all scenarios of Tuma. How did they do that? The Mishnah writes, Chatseros hayu benuyos birushalayim al gabe hasela. There were chatseros, um, these types of fields or platforms that were built above rock in, in Eretz Yisrael. The tachteim, underneath these chatseros, halal, there was a space, meaning a space that was enough to make a halachic ohel, mipne kever hatahom. What is kever hatahom? So what that means is that if you take a look at Rashi in the second line, Rashi there writes, Whenever we see this language of kever or what does it mean? It is a language of the unknown, a language of doubt, like the depths that, we, that are not revealed. In other words, maybe there's a dead body somewhere buried over here. Nowadays, our cemeteries are very misudar by and large. However, who knows what happened 500 years ago? It doesn't take much for there to be Tuma. It's Etzim Kisa'ora. It doesn't take much for there to be Tuma. So are, are we allowed to walk around Kohanim? Are they allowed to just walk anywhere, even over sidewalk? We don't know what the, what the landscape was 500 years ago. We have no idea. People for sure died. So they're all dead. So what do you, how do we look at it? So, okay, these are Shilas. So that's, a, but anyways, in this case, in order to avoid all of that for these Kohanim, in order to prepare for the Paraduma, they would build a Chalal, they build a porch, basically, to avoid the unknown of whether or not there is a mace somewhere buried under the ground. Umevien, Nashin, Ubaros, and then women who were pregnant with children of Kohanim, they'd give birth their home birth. Home birth, a boon, a boon for the uh, circumcision business. I would just tell you that, fascinatingly, the um, the, the midwifery world is uh, fascinatingly affiliated with Moas. It's not just me. The person who trains me has a whole world of uh, of non-Jewish. I call them Haredi Christians. They're so thrown. 
Zero birth control. And what's their marimakom? Pasuk and chumash, be fruitful and multiply. Who are you to stop that process, Mech? So we have poskim, we have to deal with it. But on its face, they're very from. They'd walk in with the little ducklings, a kid every 12 months, and they would be asking the rabbi to do a circumcision. So Shailan poskim as well. Can a moel do a bris mila for a koi? That's a Shailan halacha. It's quoted in the Raman, Shulchan Aruch, and Yoradea. And the shach there is lenient as long as you don't do it for free because of the Yisra of Lo Sachanim, it gets a whole sugya, a whole gan sugya. I spoke to everybody first about it. He's like, Pasnish for me to do it. He said this to, about himself. He's like, I'm not wasting my time doing that. You want to go do that and make a little bit of Parnassah? No problem. I said, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Have a good day. So um, anyways, in this case, they were having the, these were Jewish women. They were having babies a home birth. They would give birth there in that place on that porch so that there's no tuma. Because even if there was a, in the Tahom, even if there was a mace buried there, no problem. And then they would raise their children there for the sake of the paraduma to keep them tahor. They'd bring oxen, they'd put long pieces of wood on there so that the children would sit on top of the wood when they would travel. Why? Because that wood would function as an ohel. So that if they went over a dead body anywhere, the tumor would go up, but be stopped by the piece of wood that they're sitting on. And then it would not make the children tame. The tinokos, yoshvin al and the kids would sit on top. The kosos, shell evan, all of the cups that they would have would not be makabal tumah. They'd be made from stone, which is not makabal tumah, evan biadehem. And then higilu shiluach, when they would get to the to the water basin in order to get some water to drink, yardu l'sochamayim, they would jump into the water. Umilum v'alu v'yashvulahem, they would fill up their containers and then they'd go back up and sit on top of the oxen on top of the board on top of the oxen and then comes Rabiosi Rabiosi Omer don't do that don't get off the piece of wood you spent your whole life of this kid's eight, nine, ten years old he's a budding Tamar Chacham he's about to become a coin who's shaykh to do the avoda. Okay, he gets off of the piece of wood for the first time to go be, to go get some water, and there's a dead body in the water. It's just not shaykh, just stay where you are. So Yossi says, don't get off the wood. The wood is protecting you because it is an ohel. The wood is protecting you to make sure that you don't become tummy. And then, about getting water for, what? I think he's talking about getting water for the paradigm. Oh, for the paradigm, yeah. for the mechatas. Yeah, that what Rashi says here. I think that's what it says. Yes, thank you. Right, yeah. They're having a machlokas in regards to how to collect that water. Nevertheless, that's correct. Thank you for the correction. <coughs> so they were uh, trying to avoid becoming tummy. Vitanya, Rabbi Huda Omer, Rabbi Huda pushes back on, on all of this and says, They didn't even bother with the dalsos. They didn't bother with the doors. All they did was they used, they, used, they just sat on the shvarim. They just sat on the oxen. Why? Because how big is an ohel? A tefach. At a minimum, an ohel is a tefach. The width of an, ohel, of an ox is definitely a tefach, and I'm sure many tefach, I'm sure a good couple of feet, maybe more for the very, very big oxen. So what's Rabbi Huda saying? Rabbi Huda is saying that this thing is considered, that this ox is considered to be an ohel. But what happened to his rule on the bottom of the page that it has to be man-made to be an ohel? Oh, so this is the Kash and Rabbi Huda. We started our question 10 lines ago by asking, hey, wait one second. Does Rabbi Huda really hold that, um, that the only way for there to be an ohel is if it's man-made? That doesn't make any sense because over here he says that a shore works. And if a shore works, then everything is done. Man didn't make the shore. 
uh, and still we see that Rabbi Huda is relying upon it. And nevertheless, Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda Omer, Lo Hayim So that's a big kasha. And Rabbi Huda stira and sheets as a Rabbi Huda. We started at the bottom of the page with a basic assumption of Rabbi Huda that an ohel is not an ohel unless it's made by man. We see our contradictory source with Rabbi Huda, who seems to say that a shore, an ox, is considered an ohel, which is problematic. That's a contradiction. And answers the Gemara, it's not as simple as you thought. Rabbi Huda agrees that when it's Kimelo Egrof, that it will learn what this means in a moment, that when it's Kimelo Egrof, seemingly the size of a fist of some kind, so then the halacha is that he agrees that even if it's not made by man, that it does still function as an ohel. Rashi, Dibrahamaskal, Kimelo Egrof, four lines into the wide lines, three fourths of the way down. Ohel sherachav kimelo egro shehu yoser mitafach. It's even bigger than a tafach. It's not a regular size. It's even larger than a tafach. I'm just going to make up this number. Let's assume that it's two tafach. Okay. So then here's what Rabbi Yehuda holds. In general, we assume that an ohel has to be made by man, unless it hits the threshold of, of kimelo egro two tefach, whatever the shear is. At that point, even if it's not made by man, it still can be considered. It still can be considered to be an ohel. And Tanya Nami Hachi, we have a brisa that says the same thing. That when it comes to wood uh, rocks that were displaced and left in ohel, or where 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 uh, rocks crack and they leave some type of ohel, that in those cases he agrees. In those cases, because they're significantly sized, they're bigger than this minimum size of kimelo agro. Asks the Gemara, We know that a door is at the very least, it's many a grofin. It's probably, it's got to be at least as wide as the ox. Why did he say take it off? He holds that if it's larger than Kimelo Egrof, then it's an OL anyways. Why bother taking it off? What's the difference? They're both OLs. Just leave it on. Who cares? It says the Gemara, two answers. You're right. They didn't even need to. It just was unnecessary because he was protected by the shore. If the child was sitting on the saddle on top of an ox, he was protected from every mace that, that the shore would walk over. The animal was was ohel enough? And three lines from the bottom, Rava tries to explain Rabbi Huda in a different way. Rabbi Huda Amar, No, there was a specific reason why Rava did not want the boy, uh, or they didn't want the people to sit on top of that animal on a piece of wood. Why? Because that's how King sat. Oh, look at me. I'm sitting on this chash of an animal with a chash of a piece of wood. An unbelievable level of concern to the point that we're saying that, okay, he's sitting on this piece of wood. He's like so excited. It's not a normal way to ride an ox. I look so chash of. And then we're afraid he's going to stick his arm out off of the wood. And he may just stick his head out off of the wood. And if he does that, he can become tame around the kever at home. Remember that the kever at home is a suffix. It's a suffix. We are not, we don't, this is such a high standard that Rav is holding us to, to say that the reason why we're not doing the wood, even though the ox is enough of an oil, because it's kimelo egrof, it's large enough, it's many, many tvachim wide, doesn't make a difference. We're just afraid the kid is going to become uh, tame. If we do put a piece of wood there, better to not put the piece of wood there, let him sit, sit straight on the animal. And there's a brisa to support this sheet as well. Tanya Kavase, the Rav, top line of Chafal from the base. Yehuda Omer, the same, just a quote, we'll read through this quickly. 
Rabbi Yehuda says, no, no piece of wood on the animal. He'd get so excited about sitting on the wood. He may stick a hand out. Please keep your hands inside the whole time. And if you stick your hand out, you might become Tame. Ella, rather, what should you do? This Brysa is now slightly different than the, what we learned earlier. Ella, you should bring Egyptian oxen. What was unique about the Egyptian oxen? They had very, very wide uh, they were very wide right to left. They're very big animals. And the children would sit on top of them. They'd make sure that the kalim that they had were not for the mechatas, for the water, for the paraduma. And then when they'd get to the water, period, that's the brisa. And this is the brisa that supports the shita of Rabbah and trying to explain the shita of Rabbi Yehuda. Asks the Gemara, hold on one second. Rabbi Yehuda in our Mishnah, what did he say about sleeping under a bed? Rabbi Yehuda in our Mishnah said, no problem. That wasn't his language, but he said that, uh, right? That was the language in our Mishnah that they would sleep. So then ask the Gemara eight lines down on Kafal from a base that doesn't work. Your rule that you said that as long as it's made by man, it's an ohel, and if it's not, it's not made. If it's not made by man, then it's not an ohel. That's only up to two agrofim. But once, once it only it's Kimalo Agrofim. But once once we have a bed, even though it's even though it made by man or not made by man, it doesn't make a difference. It's definitely going to be an ohel. So says the Gemara, Kama Agrofim Vitzanan or Behuda Omer Noagin Hayinu Shahinu Yishenim Tachasimit Bifnezakanim. But why isn't it an ohel according to Rabbi Huda? No matter what you do, Rabbi Huda, you need to say that this is an ohel. Man made, not man made, it doesn't make a difference. It's definitely an ohel. So how can you say your yotei dechovasa by the by sleeping under a bed within a sukkah? So says the Gemara because you're using the bed the wrong way. Your intentions make a difference. Shiny mita hoel ulagaba asuya. A bed is meant to be slept upon, not slept underneath. The kamina, a bunk bed, right? A bunk bed, okay, you're supposed to sleep on the top bunk and you're supposed to sleep underneath. That would be a problem according to the according to the shita. But what's what is Rabbi Huda saying? The problem with the bed and sleeping under it is that you're using it the wrong way and therefore it's not an ohel. That's not the way it's meant to be used. Who knew that that made a difference? Wouldn't you have thought that an ohel is a physical reality? And if you're in a no hell, then you're in a no. No, it's not the way that it works. If you're using something the wrong way, and only because you're using it the wrong way does it appear to be an OL. That's not an OL. And that's why Rabbi Yehud in our Mishnah says, no problem. Says the Gemara, biting back quickly. Hold on. The same thing would be true for uh, for Shvarim. Let's say that uh, uh, sitting on top of the animal is great. If you were under an animal, what would happen? Is that considered an OL? You called it an OL, didn't you? You said it's OL enough to stop the tumor. Really, it's not an OL. The, the whole point of the animal is not to be an OL for things underneath it. So, so then maybe it shouldn't be an OL to protect the kids. So it says the Gemara, Ki asa ravin, ki asa ravin amar shiny shvarim, oxen are different. Actually, the, uh, the shepherds actually utilize the underspace underneath an ox. Sounds extremely dangerous. You probably have to really trust your animal to not sit down on you because there are many thousands of pounds. I just read a news article this week about a 1500 pound ox that got out of a slaughterhouse, smart girl or, or guy who totally ran out after uh, catching wind of what was going on and started roaming through the streets. 
just mm. running around. Could you imagine like mamish a bull just running down the streets? Like, what's it called in Spain? I, the whatever it's called. No, there's a Spanish. I know that. No, there's a whatever a, a Spaniard word. I can't remember what it is. Anyways, doesn't make a difference. The point is that uh, that over here we see that there's a secondary purpose for this animal. So if that's true, the bed is no different than the ox. So it says the Gemara. Um, that's that's how yeah that's how Ravin in the name of Rabbi Lazar answers is that we have we have a use for the bottom side uh, of of a shore. So it says the Gemara. Well, if that's true, don't you keep your shoes under your bed? Clearly, they did the same thing that some of us do. They store things under their beds. And if you're storing things under your beds, then that's a very normal place to keep things, in which case, yes, it should be an ohel, in which case, Rabbi Yehuda, how can you say your Yotzei Dechovaso? If the underside of a bed is used to store things, there's no reason why it shouldn't be an ohel, in which case you, Rabbi Yehuda, you're stuck. That means it's an ohel, and you should not be Yotzei Dechovaso by sleeping under a bed inside a sukkah. So says the Gemara, you're right. One third of the way down, really oxen are different categorically than the bed, no comparison one to the next. They have a skeleton that protects the innards. So the rib cage of the animal is lower, it's closer to the ground, and it protects that which is inside. The, uh, the, the skin and the flesh with, is what the animal will be dressed with. And with the bones and sinews, the animal will be sochech, will be, will be protected. So we see the bottom side of the animal does have a very specific purpose. That's not true by a bed. The bottom side of the bed, not inherent in the bed. The space may be used for socks and shoes, no problem. But the actual bed itself, on the bottom side of the bed itself, there's zero value. It's only external to say that shoes are kept there, therefore there's ohel underneath the bed. Here it's inherent in the bottom of the animal that it has that rib cage to protect it. So that's one answer that makes a distinction between shvarim and amita. The Baisema halfway down, another possible answer, and this is something that we saw earlier in the Masechta, Rabbi Yehuda Lutayne. Rabbi Yehuda, in our Mishnah, where he says, that sleeping under a bed is not a problem and you are yotze yedechova. So he, this is following his own shita. De Omar, he hold, he's of the opinion that sukkah diras keva, that when one makes a sukkah, granted, fun, functionally, it should be diras arai, but within the realms of diras arai, it has to be to the right, more, uh, more diras keva. And, but, you know, and we need it to be a, a little bit more of a fixed structure. Behavale mita diras arai, the sukkah ohel keva, below asi ohel arai, umavatel ohel keva. That even though it's true the bed might be be an ohel. It doesn't make a difference. If the ohel that's inside the sukkah is an ohel arai, you can do whatever you want. It won't, it won't change anything. It's an ohel arai. And he is of the opinion that lo asi ohel arai umevatel ohel keva. That when we have a bed, and it's, a bed is considered an ohel arai because they're very portable. They're moved around a lot. And because they're moved around a lot, back in the day at least, because their beds were moved around a lot, it's considered an ohel arai. And Rabbi Yehuda is of the opinion that this bed that's inside of your sukkah can't ruin your experience in the sukkah. And therefore, even if you're underneath the bed, according to Rabbi Yehuda, because he's of the opinion of lo asi ohel arai, mavato lo el keva, that the bed can't ruin the sukkah. Therefore, even if you're under the bed, you can be yotze. Says the Gemara, wait one second. We have a dissenting opinion on that. He also agrees that the sukkah has to be more fixed, but the asi ohel arai but he, is, he doesn't agree with you. You, Rabbi Yehuda, you were of the opinion that, uh, that an Ohel Arai cannot ruin an Ohel Keva. Rabbi Shimon's of the opinion that it can, that an Ohel Arai can ruin an Ohel Keva. So says the Gemara, uh, as a klutz kasha, <laughs> that's what they're arguing about. You can't ask a Shiloh from one Tana against another. They just must hold different things. 
It's not like you're bringing an anonymous source that you have to qualify. Rav Shimon says X, and Rav Yehuda says Y. What's the problem? That's Rav Shimon. That a bed that's inside a sukkah, it's an OLR rai, and it can be mavatel and OL keva. And Umar uh, Sabar, the sheet of Rav Yehuda, as we've seen now twice in this Masechda, is that he holds lo asi OLR rai mavatel OL keva. That one who has a, an ohel arai inside of a sukkah, it cannot ruin an ohel keva. And that explains the various shitas that we saw in our Mishnah of the Tanakam and Rib Shimon on the one side and Rib Yehuda on the other with various approaches within the Gemara in order to explain those shitas. That brings us to the two dots, Amar Rib Shimon. Almost done. We're going to get to the end of the page. Amar Rib Shimon. Avdo, the story that we learned in our Mishnah about the Eved who slept under the bed. Tanya. The Brisa writes, not our Mishnah, Tanya, Brisa, a, st- a similar story. Amr Shimon, mi sichaso, keyword, from the dialogue that we saw in our Mishnah, mi sichaso, shorabban gamli, lamad nushne dvarim. What are the two things that we learned from the conversation uh, of our Mishnah? Number one, lamadnu shavodim turmina sukkah. We learned that an Evid is putter from the sukkah. Their chiyuvim are different. That's number one. We also learn from Reb Shimon in our in, in this brisa and in our Mishnah, uh, the first and third sheetahs of our Mishnah, that you are not yotze the mitzvah of sukkah if you are under a bed inside a sukkah. Says the Gemara, what does misichasa mean? The lema midvarav. He's a he's a posek from his words. He said a davar. He said a dibur. He said a dibra. Whatever language you want to say, misichaso. What does that even mean? So it should have been midvarav shal rabban gamliel. So says the Gemara, a very very important line, one that we are familiar with. Milsa agav urcha kamash We are learning a secondary point here. The fact that this brisa says that we're learning from the sicha of and not midvarav of, that we're learning from the conversation and not just from his words, is to teach us the following. Some say that Rav Achabar Ada said it. Some say that it was Rav Achabar Ada, Amar of Hamnuna, Amar one of those two people. And what did they say? And this brings us three lines right before the Mishnah. This will bring us to the new Mishnah. Minayin, and I'm going to uh, read the correct girsa, which is found here on the side. How do we know that even casual conversations of Talmidi Chachamim need Talmud? They need to be learned. They need to be analyzed. Like the first that the leaves will not wilt. The leaves will not fall apart. So we assume that the leaves are not the ikr part of the tree. The ikr part of the tree is the wood. That's the Talmud Chacham. Okay, the words that come out of his mouth, those are the leaves. The lo yibo, they're not going to, they're not going to fall apart. They're not going to, to wilt. And therefore, everything that a Talmud Chacham does needs to be analyzed. That's really, uh, that's a beautiful thing. When people live their lives to such a level where everything they do can be analyzed, Latova, that's an unbelievable level. Beautiful. New Mishnah, 12 lines or so from the bottom of the page. If a person takes a bed frame and puts schach over it, take off the mattress, put the schach on top of it, the halacha is that it's kosher, that's the Tanakama. If Yehuda Omer, not necessarily. It has to be freestanding. Well, let's see what this means in the Gemara. My time with Rabbi Yehuda. What is Rabbi Yehuda's shita that if it's not that it's psula? So it says the Gemara, this is a machlokas in the Amoraim, how to understand the shita of Rabbi Yehuda who was a Tana. Because a bed is not a, is not a keva. I keep thinking in my head about these little pack and plays that the little babies use. And you can put them in one room and you can literally pick it up and move it and put it in. They're portable. They're portable. The beds that we have in our homes, 
it's much more annoying to move our beds, but their beds were, were seemingly in some way, shape, and form more portable. And the bed is Ein La Keva. And maybe that's why Rabbi Huda was of the opinion that it has to be Omei Omei Bifne Atzma. However, the other of these Amoraim says, It's problematic because it is the schach is resting on something that is makabal tuma. This should ring a bell for those of you who've built sukkahs before and learned these sukkahs, the famous chazanish of maimed de maimed. We don't even allow for a sukkah to be built with metal at all. It has to be resting and built upon only that which is makabal tuma and not which that which isn't makabal tuma, other way around. Only that which isn't makabal tuma uh, and you can't use any metal. So there are some people who got creative and they came up with a way to build a sukkah in a way that's both sturdy and doesn't use any metal. Most people are not of that opinion. Most people who build sukkahs do use metal to support the wood upon which the schach will go. But this is the principle that's framed out here in the Gemara by one of the Amoraim, who says that the concern of Rabbi Huda and our Mishnah was that the sukkah is made out of something that's makabal tum and that's problematic. My benayhu, what is the difference between these two reasons of the Amoraim, where one says ein keva and the other says that the schach is sitting on something that is makabal tumah? The difference is, the difference would be if one were to make a perfectly metal frame of barzel, very hard metal, very sturdy, put the metal poles into the ground, and put schach on top of that. According to the one who says, Rabbi Yehuda's real concern was about kvius. This sukkah is just wonderful, perfectly kosher, nothing to worry about. And the same would be true if you take the poles of the bed and you you know, you hammer them into the ground, the bed, the whole thing would be kosher because he's not concerned about the other person's concern about makabal tumah. Last of the short lines, but according to the sheet of Rabbi Huda, who was of the opinion that uh, the concern here was about being makabal tumah, then you've got a problem. Then you have a sukkah that's not kosher. We know for sure your poles that lay just under your schach cannot be metal. That we know. There have to be other pieces of wood. So many years ago, the schach world came out with these white sukkahs that kind of interlock. They just kind of fall into place. And then there's a metal bar that goes across the top. But they had to come up with a solution. So they did. They would tell you to get pieces of wood. They were two by fours. And there was a cut at the, each end of the two by four, the exact width of the sukkah. And the two by four would land and hold the sukkah at, it, at the right length uh, at the right uh, distance apart and that would be the wood upon which the schach would rest because if it was on the metal that's a violation of this rule that would not be allowed and this case of the very sturdy metal frame would be a difference between these two sources and the Amoraim who are trying to explain Rabbi Huda. And then uh, the last four lines of the night, this whole conversation is only talking about where the schach is resting directly on the bed. But if it's raised, so there's a bed, and then above the bed, you create another frame in order to rest the schach. That's totally different, my time. Why is there a difference? According to the one who says that there's no kviz, that's his concern about Rabbi Huda, even he would say that it's kosher here because we have a separate uh, frame to hold up the schach. So whereas the bed may be a temporary type of location, no problem, I understand that. But here, Yehuda would say kosher because the schach is resting on a more stable source.
source. And according to the other opinion in the Amorim, that's not what's happening here. This new frame that's resting over the bed to make the schach hover above the bed, that is, is not going to be Makabotuma, so it will be kosher. So that's how the Gemara concludes here in trying to understand Rabbi Yehuda with uh, two different sheets in the Amorim as to why he says that this case in our Mishnah of making schach on top of the bed, he says, would potentially be problematic. We spoke about the two different possibilities as to why that's the case, and a bias qualification where Rabbi, even Rabbi Yehuda would agree that it's kosher, which is where the schach is elevated above the bed on its own frame. We're going to stop right here. Emir Sashem, tomorrow night will be in person by Rabbi Svi. 3040 Sherwin, is that correct? 3040 Sherwin, we will be starting sharply at 840. Uh, if we all plan to dive in Marv there, we can have Marv afterwards. I'll plan to dive in Marv there. And we will um, record when we're done with share. We'll stop. We'll dive in Marv and we'll record again when Rabbi Robinson starts and I'll post. We'll have live Zoom there as well. Um, and I think that's all for tonight. Wishing you all a beautiful night. Thank you.